You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. Our gospel lesson is from Matthew, and this is a a continuation of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 13 through 16. Hear God's words for you. And Jesus is speaking. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under a bushel basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Now, you can tell by simply looking at me that I like to eat. I also like to cook. And the truth is, we like most of the cuisines of the world, and it's always amazing to me at how these things intersect in our history. Can you imagine Szechuan Chinese without hot peppers? You know where the hot peppers came from originally? Central America. That's what you think of in Mexican food. They traveled in the 16th century with Spanish traders to China. Tomatoes, tomato sauce, Italian cuisine, they too crossed the Atlantic. Did anybody here have black-eyed peas for New Year's? Then you better thank somebody from Africa, because that's where they came from. Have orange juice this morning? The Middle East, by way of Florida, or maybe California, but probably Florida for us. And then there are the dishes that all the world have. They look a little different. They taste a little different, but they're really very similar. Those pockets of dough that are filled with meat and savory or maybe sometimes sweet. And vulture, vulture, I can't say the word anymore. All cultures, almost all cultures have it. Think of the pot stickers in Chinese or the empanadas in Mexican or in Great Britain, the pasties. Every culture, same sort of thing, different taste. I think many of you at least know I grew up in Western North Carolina and we grew up out in the country and we grew most of our own food. And when I say grew our own food, I don't mean just the the vegetables uh, and some of the fruit, but I mean the beef and the pork and the chickens, and had a dairy cow, and chickens for eggs. And one of my most vivid memories of childhood was that day late in October, sometimes it was early November, the leaves are mostly off the trees, and it's gotten cold enough, and suddenly one morning somebody arrives in a truck, and the hogs we've been raising all summer disappear. And three or four days later, they return in cardboard boxes lined with butcher's paper. And there's about 200 pounds, 300 pounds of pork. And for the next three, four days, 
That's all you can smell coming out of the kitchen. As the things that need to be cooked are cooked, the sausage is cooked and canned, not frozen. The lard is rendered. The cuts that need to be changed are changed. They're wrapped. They go into the freezer. But in a tradition far older than my mountain ancestors, the bacon and the hams were packed in salt and brown sugar and black pepper. Sugar cured ham. And it not only preserved them, of course, but it gave them a special flavor. They were never refrigerated. The prosciutto of Italy, the wonderful Iberian hams of Spain and Portugal, they're the forerunners of the country ham that some of us at least had for breakfast this morning. (laughs) Those are warm, pleasant memories for me, but it's more than that. From time immemorial, human beings have always needed a way to preserve food, and one of the most effective ways is salt. You pack things in salt, and it preserves The purity, the function of salt is one of the earliest things that human beings discovered. It became one of the first items of trade. It is so important that it becomes the foundation for all great civilizations. Pliny the Elder writes, civilized life cannot proceed without salt. He's a great Roman historian. The Hebrews, as well as the Romans, understood the nature of salt. So it's not surprising that Jesus will turn to salt as being analogous to the way we live our Christian life. Jesus just finished the Beatitudes, what we call the Beatitudes, and in the midst of this Sermon on the Mount, he is now talking about a description of the way he expects disciples to live, and he chooses this analogy, salt and light. So what does he mean when he wants us to be salty Christians or light-giving Christians? What does it mean? Back a few years ago, I read a story in one of the magazines I get. It was Presbyterian magazine, of course. And it was a Presbyterian minister who'd been on vacation and he'd gone to a church to worship. And he said, I really liked the service. People were friendly. The music was good. And everything went along well. It was a pretty good sermon. And then the minister got up and stood at the table and he said, unless you are a born-again evangelical, you're not welcome here. And the guy said, how do you measure that? How do you know what that's supposed to mean? And he said, you know, we went away feeling much less than welcome." Wonder what other people thought. So what constitutes a Christian? Is it really the labels we wear? Or does it have something to do with saltiness and light? Appearance will not tell you who's a Christian. We come in all shapes and in all sizes. We are male and female, boys and girls. There are bright people who aren't Christians. There are some bright people who are, and we know the inverse of that is true as well. 
Even moral integrity does not necessarily tell you who's a Christian because there are non-Christians who have greater moral integrity than some Christians I know. Although we want it to be that way. Jesus says that the real key to discipleship, i.e. being a Christian, is following him and behaving in the way he behaved. Hence, salt and light. Or if you want to pick up last Sunday, it is from Micah to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. You want to measure who's a Christian? That's how you measure it. It's not what they say. It's what they do. Jesus says to to us who would follow him simply, you are salt. You are light. You notice he doesn't give you a choice. He doesn't say you ought to be. He says you are. Going to be a follower of Jesus, you will be salt. You will be light. And of course, as we move further into Matthew, Jesus will speak volumes about what that means. But we said it. We understand that anybody can say they're a Christian. But it takes a certain pattern of life for it to be real. You are the salt of the earth. You've already heard me talk about my childhood, so I think of salt as a preserving agent. And you know what? I think Christianity can serve as a a preserving agent in our culture if we let it. I think of the confessing church in Germany in 1932 and the theological declaration of Barman that says to Hitler, there is only one Lord and head of the church and it's not you. It's Jesus. And it cost people their lives. Are we willing to stand up to that again? Are we? That thin stream of learning that passed through the church, down through the centuries, that really preserved the best of Western civilization. Or perhaps the influence on a budding new nation that came later to be called the United States. Do you doubt the Christian influence that was there? But we also know that salt is not just a preservative. Salt is a flavor enhancer. Now, I see several physicians present, and they will tell you we all eat too much salt. And I'm sure that's true. (laughs) But have you ever tried no salt? It's pretty miserable. What salt does is it makes food taste the way we think it should taste. Now, we say it gives zest. Isn't that what the Christian faith, isn't that what our lives and this society is supposed to do? It's supposed to add the zest of life to the people around us? It gives our society not only preserving, but it gives it meaning and direction and hope. Now, here's the thing. If salt is used properly, unless you're talking about a pretzel, you never see it. You put it in, you mix it up, it disappears. It melts. It goes throughout the whole thing. You taste it, you know it's there, but you don't see it. 
We know the old adage, actions speak louder than words. And it really is true. Often the influence on the world by Christians has been strongest when it's the least obvious. When the church adopted the same repressive, persecuting style that the Christians themselves had just undergone a few centuries before, the results were always disastrous. We can't conduct our lives like the rest of the world. We're salt. We're light. Jesus says so. Didn't ask you if you wanted to be. You want to follow him? You're going to be salt. You're going to be light. That's the way it is. The world has been more influenced for good through the quiet action of Christians than anybody will ever understand. The hidden saints, that's the phrase I use. Those people who didn't necessarily look like it or talk the best or even look that much different than the people around them and yet they were as distinctive as they could be from the crowds and they made the world better. Filled with light and filled with salt. Don't you know people like that? As I thought about this sermon and was getting to this point and writing this, I thought, you know, I could embarrass a couple of folks in either service by pointing out that they really are the hidden saints. But I won't do that. That wouldn't be fair. Wouldn't be fair to the rest of you for sure. So I'll give you a name that maybe you will remember. Some of you won't, but some of you will. I think about Mary May Keys. Anybody thought about Mary May in a while? Mary May lived just across the parking lot in the house by the church. Now, Mary May was more or less an invalid. She didn't get out at all. But I guarantee you, Mary May knew what was going on in the church before anybody else did. And she frequently brought me up to speed because that's just what Mary May did. Um, Mary May was one of those folks who was ardent in her prayer life and... Um, if you think Mary May was perfect, forget it. She could be a bit of a gossip at times too. But let me tell you, Mary May was one of those light-filled, salty Christians who made sure that the people around her understood on whose side she was. Do you expect perfection out of Christians? Are you kidding yourself? Are you? Why would we expect others to be? The problem with this hidden nature of Christianity is just like salt. It never stays hidden. If it's there, you know it. If it's not there, you know it. It's a little bit later, Jesus will talk about the leaven in bread that is hidden in the loaf and the loaf rises. You never see it, but you see the results of it. That's what salt and light is like. So Jesus says, you're the salt, but you're also the light. Christianity was never meant to not be seen. It has to be seen, not flaunted, not used to berate people, but it has to be seen. And you cannot help but note that it's there. 
You don't keep it a secret. There's no such thing as secret discipleship. For either the secrecy destroys the discipleship or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. We are called to conduct our lives so that people can see not for our self-aggrandizement, but can see beyond us and through us to a living Christ. And again, Christianity must be more than just doing and saying the right things when we're in church. If anything, Christianity needs to be more visible when we walk outside these four walls. It happens in the way you treat the people who work with you or the people who work under you. It happens in the way we conduct ourselves out in this world. It happens in the way we treat family and spouse. It happens when we live up to the high ideals to which we've been called. This hidden nature that won't stay hidden. I think it's staggers the imagination that Jesus would call somebody like you and me salt and light. You know, some days I just don't think I'm very salty. Well, my language may be, but otherwise. And yet, that is precisely what Jesus says. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill can't be hid. You're supposed to be seen. We act sometimes if the way we live doesn't make a difference. Don't you believe it? Don't you believe it? We were talking last night about people we knew. My younger brother's here. And so we were talking last night about people we knew growing up and the influence that we had or they had on us that they never knew. And life's always that way. It can be good. It can be negative too. But you cannot, somebody said, take my influence and bury it with me. Forget it. It's not going to happen. Your influence is already out there. You've already touched lives. You've already changed people, for better or worse. But here's the good news. You still have some life to live, and you can make it for the better. You can have an influence that is better than it once was. One of the great stories that comes out of the mission field is always, of course, that business about the famous missionary David Livingston and Stanley going to find him and all that. And it's true. I mean, it's not a, a made-up story. But Stanley went as pretty much an agnostic. He went because it was a lark, and he wanted to write up the newspaper article that said, I found the lost missionary. And he does. But Stanley writes in his own memoirs, such was the influence of Livingston that he made me a Christian and he never knew he was doing it. That's the example. That's who we are to be. You are salt, you are light. Live it. Become it. Become saltier than you used to be. Let your light so shine. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.